You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, App, Google Play, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify. Today, we have loads of NFL topics to talk about. Yes, of course, talking about Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones, Danny Buckets, whatever you'd like to call him. He is a topic for discussion, and that's just not talking about the little old New York media. Daniel Dimes has been a talking point for shows across the country so far this week, and it has been fascinating to hear the bait and switch that has taken place when it comes to Daniel Jones and his ability to play quarterback, according to so many people in the media and the like. So we are going to discuss all that in regards to the Giants. Of course, also losing Saquon Barkley, which is a big blow, but there are so many other NFL topics to talk about because entering week four, you have some 3-0 and teams, you have some 0-3 teams, you have everybody in the middle. It's really important to now see what type of judgment you have. What do you look for? How much weight do you put into a good team beating a bad team or a mediocre team beating a, a bad team? What's important to look at and how do we look forward to really see who the true contenders are in this league? Because there are some obvious ones and there are some not so obvious ones. So that's what we're here to discuss today on the Sports Blog New York podcast, a solo pod, just your boy, Pete Kennedy, right here. So you stay right there listening on iTunes, Out Podcast, App, Google Play, or Spotify. I don't care where you listen. I'm just happy that you're here with me. So stay tuned for the Sports Blog New York podcast. Here we go, Sports Blog New York Podcast, solo pod, just me, Pete Kennedy. It's been a minute since I've done a little solo pod, and it's about time. I mean, let's be honest, I've been slacking a little bit towards the end of summer. The pods are not rolling quite as often as they usually do, but don't you worry with football back, basketball on its way, a little Major League Baseball playoffs maybe, we're going to be back. We might be back twice a week again. It's time to bring back the SBNY podcast for real this time. No joking around. We took a little bit uh, of, of some vacation time in the summer, but don't you worry. The Sports Blog New York podcast is going to be back once or twice a week for the foreseeable future. So look forward to some great NFL talk, to some NBA talk, which is so sneaky close. Sneaky, sneaky close. Me and the boys, John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani, we got our text chain back up and running. I mean, we talk all the time. But the podcast-specific chats have been happening when we're getting ready for those over-under pods, some season previews. It's going to be a blast. I know you may not realize it, but it's less than 30 days till the NBA season. So just just keep an eye on that. You don't got to worry about it just yet. But no, in a few weeks when it pops up, maybe next week when it pops up, it's time for basketball to be back in our lives. And that means we got sports every night. We got football Sundays, Thursdays, and Mondays. We got basketball every night. We got baseball playoffs. It is the time to be alive. And also in the Northeast, it's cooling down just a little bit. I love that. I'm a fan of 60 degrees, even 50, 40. I'll take it. I was sweating. I've been sweating for a couple months now, and I'm over it, to be quite honest. One thing I'm not over is football, man. It is so good to have football back in our lives, first and foremost. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, the gambling perspective, to flat out just having three days a week or two, one day, two nights a week where we know what we're doing and we are locked into the TV all together, whether we're in the same place or not, watching the same stuff and talking about it all damn week. It is the best time in sports if you ask me. And if you ask anyone, they shouldn't disagree. So let's talk about some of the things that we got to see this past week. And there's really only one place to start when we're talking on the Sports Blog New York podcast, right? Because we're talking New York sports, you know, not all the time, but we like to keep it there when we can. And the place to start is when we're talking about Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones. Now, the first thing I want to talk about a little bit is the nickname, right? So when he first got drafted to the Giants, I mean, I was on this podcast talking about it, and I, I automatically said, Daniel Jones just doesn't have the ring for me, right? Daniel Jones, 
I'd rather him be doing my taxes, rather be working with him in an office space. Daniel Jones does not sound like my quarterback, and thankfully, through just one start, maybe even through a couple preseason starts, he earned the name. I'll say earned with a little bit of sarcasm because he hasn't done a ton yet, but he's looked really good. He's earned Danny Dimes. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. I like it, but let me also just add one thing to your repertoire. Daniel Buckets. Let's go. This guy's getting buckets. Whatever he's doing out there, and if, shout out to Worldwide Wob. If you guys are familiar with Wob on Twitter, he has a whole lifestyle of getting buckets. He talks about it all the time. Getting buckets is not just about basketball. It's about life. It's about all sports. It's when you're just making plays, you're making moves, you're doing the right thing, and, and, and you're doing it with some swagger, some confidence. That's you getting buckets. You're at the office, make a good comment at a meeting, bucket. Daniel Buckets, all right? Just keep that one in your back pocket. That's a little treat from your boy over here, Pete Kennedy, at the SBY Podcast. I love me some Danny Dimes, but let's incorporate the Buckets. Dimes is a little, it's a little too, like, it's like too easy for me. So let's incorporate some Buckets in there for our boy. But Dan Jones has really taken an energy to this city, right? He has single-handedly almost reinvigorated the New York Giants. Now, last week we were on this podcast, we're talking about, was this the right time for Gettleman and Shermer to pull the plug on Eli, to end his proverbial career as a starter and whatnot? And there was mixed opinions. You know, some people thought that maybe they still didn't handle the Eli situation proper. Maybe people thought Daniel Jones wasn't quite ready. But there were a few things that we were pretty confident in, especially, uh, the people on this specific podcast is that Daniel Jones was going to be able to add a few things to this offense right away that Eli just would not be able to do. And it, it can be argued better, worse, the same and different, whatever. But the two things I expected did take place. Number one was pace of play. The giants play played with the pace that I haven't seen them play with too often under the Eli Manning era. Daniel Jones is quicker twitched. He's just a quicker human being. He's fast. And he really does work that RPO game like Eli just cannot do. So right off the bat, that opens up worlds of opportunity for Pat Shermer. Daniel Jones is able to hit those quick slants a little quicker. He's able to pull the ball and make a move with his feet. He's able to move the pocket around the field when necessary. Those are just simple things that Pat Shermer was handcuffed to when playing with Eli Manning at quarterback. So right off the bat, Pat Shermer's playbook gets to expand a little bit. Because what is what is there that can be done by a quarterback that Daniel Jones cannot do, that Eli can at this point? If you want to say read the defense, that's even up for debate. But all the things that Pat Shermer did when he was the OC in Minnesota, working with Case Keenum, he's now able to do, maybe even to a further extent, with a guy who can move, with the same arm strength, if not better than Eli Manning. Actually, definitely better than Eli Manning. And now the run game isn't such a given when you have a quarterback who can do other things. Under Eli Manning, the best drive of the year was that drive in Week 2 to start the, to start the game where they ran the ball five times in a row. Barkley ended up scoring, a, I think it was a 20-plus yard touchdown, and we scored 7 nothing off the bat. Looked like a chance for the Giants to get on top and stay on top. Obviously, that did not work out. But they were so reliant on Saquon to make extraordinary plays. They were so reliant on the receiver to catch a short ball and turn it into such a big play. Now with Daniel Jones, there is more versatility to the offense. And the key part to that in week one of Daniel Jones' starting career was very obvious. It led to two touchdowns. One was the game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. Daniel Jones is not Lamar Jackson. He's not Kyler Murray. But if you heard the stat, you may know this already, but if you did not, let me enlighten you. Four of the fastest quarterback run times this past week in the NFL, fastest miles per hour by a quarterback running in a game, two of them were to Daniel Jones. The other one was Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. This guy has straight line speed. And now he reminds me of a quarterback who I personally like, who has had a interesting career in the sense that he's kind of been given up on for better options two different times, and that's Alex Smith. 
a former number one overall pick. <laughs> now, Alex Smith never lit the world on fire when it came to his arm, and he never really was able to truly push the ball downfield like most of his coaches probably would have wanted him to. But there were a couple things Alex Smith did very well. Number one, he took care of the ball. Number two, he understood and could read a defense. He can pick his spots in between uh, a zone. He can take advantage of mismatches and man-to-man coverage. And also, when necessary, he's able to move the pocket and pick up first downs and pick up touchdowns with his legs. Think back to Alex Smith's career in San Francisco and in Kansas City. How many times has a scamper for him led to a seven-yard touchdown? Something that maybe he lacked in his arm talent, in the ability to throw somebody open, he was able to make do with moving with his legs. It is something I said last week on the podcast, where young quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, rely on this. And is it the perfect crutch? Absolutely not. But when you have a quarterback who's not always ready to just sit in the pocket like a Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers, like Big Ben, like Philip Rivers, like Eli in his prime, having your legs to lean on is extremely important and extremely valuable. Think about Mitchell Trubisky. Obviously, he's been under a lot of heat. I still don't believe his performance on Monday night against the Redskins was that impressive. But when Mitchell Trubisky has been at his best, he is moving. He is moving out of the pocket and making throws downfield. He is using his legs to pick up 20-yard chunks and touchdowns. It is very important for a young quarterback to have that athleticism to get away from some of these Goliaths who are chasing after them. Now, Daniel Jones proved those things very early. Now, do we want him being the leading rusher for the Giants every week? Absolutely not. But if he could convert three to six extra red zone opportunities into touchdowns based off his legs alone, obviously he already did two in the first start, that is a huge swing when it comes over a season. And is he going to be doing this in year five of his career? Probably not. Maybe a little bit. He'll pick his spots, kind of like Russell Wilson does now. He does it when he needs it most or when when the time is just right. But him having that right now makes every defender facing off against him just think a little bit extra long. It could be a second. could be half a second. They freeze. Is this guy going to move? Oh, now the guy's right past him. Slant. Big chunk gain. Those little things help a young quarterback to the nth degree. It is not super measurable other than the specific yards or specific touchdowns that Daniel Jones can run for, but the ability to run the RPO, to freeze the defense for a hot second, can change the dynamic of this New York Giants offense. But also, a dose of reality is important. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a train wreck, right? They're, they're just, like, they're talented. Mike Evans absolutely shredded the pathetic Giants defense for like 180 yards and three touchdowns. He was off the charts. I expect Terry McLaurin to kind of do the same thing next week, whether it be Case Keenum or Dwayne Haskins at the helm. The Giants defense has problems. It's not going to help them win games. There's no way. But what Daniel Jones was able to do was give the energy, give the hope to give the, the thing that they did not have under Eli the past year and a half, two years, spark, swagger, confidence, knowing that if the defense makes a mistake, the offense isn't dead in its boots. That's what Daniel Jones already brought to the New York Giants football team. It's not all about Saquon, and especially now, it's not all about him because of the injury. So week one was a lovely performance. It was impressive, and people have been singing Daniel Jones' praises. He's even now one of the favorites to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, which I think is aggressive. (laughs) He's played one game. But the life that he's brought into a franchise that had no life is unmeasurable, and it's impressive, and it's important to praise. Now, if you are a gambler, (laughs) I wouldn't exactly recommend to put money on Daniel Jones to win Rookie of the Year right now right? This is the peak of his odds, unless he goes out and throws for four touchdowns this week against the Redskins, which is technically possible because the Redskins are nothing to write home about. I don't truly expect this success to just roll and roll and roll for Daniel Jones. We have some tough opponents coming up. The Patriots are in the rafters. 
playing the Eagles and the Cowboys are always going to be tough. And even the Redskins, an in-division opponent, will not be a walk in the park. Now, the Giants are three-point favorites, but that doesn't mean much once the game gets going. So it's important to be happy. It's important to shout the praise of Danny Dimes and to have the energy that we haven't had for years as Giants fans. It's important. But there's a lot to be done here. There's a lot to evaluate over the next couple weeks. I think Sterling Shepard's happy. I think Evan Engram's happy. I think, you know, Wayne Gallman's going to be happy. Some of those other receivers are probably more excited to catch the ball out of Daniel Jones's hand. And those are all really positive things. The happiest guy, or the happiest two guys, I should say, are by far Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer. And that comes the next question. Is drafting Daniel Jones enough to put a blanket over all of the other things that you may have criticized those two men for before? Dave Gettleman was getting shredded to pieces this offseason. Even last week on this very podcast, my friend Alec Argento just crushed Dave Gettleman for his lack of awareness with the salary cap. If you knew Daniel Jones was this good, why keep Eli Manning around? I know it's hindsight 2020, but Eli Manning's cap hit really did affect the ability to spend money on the defense and other holes on this team. Now, is that fine? Is that okay? If they did hit on Daniel Jones, do you want Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer still to be running the show here in New York? Because that's what the rest of this season is about now. What types of moves do Dave Gettleman pull? Is he going to trade away some talent again, a la Landon Collins, a la Olivier Vernon, a la Odell Beckham Jr.? Or is he going to stand pat and then we're going to put the eggs in the draft basket again? Is Pat Sherman the guy you want to be calling plays to to bring Daniel Jones from rookie to true starting quarterback to franchise quarterback? I think there's a lot of things I do like about Pat Shermer. I think he has gained a little bit of confidence in New York over the time. Obviously not through wins, but just at the podium, standing up for himself and being a well-spoken, confident head coach. But when you watch the Giants offense, and now it's important to see because you really can't judge anything you saw with Eli on Pat Shermer now because it's a new dynamic, it's a new offense, a new quarterback who can do a load of new things. Is Pat Shermer the guy? Can he make something out of nothing? Some of the best moments for Eli Manning in his career was the ability to get something out of Mario Manningham, out of Kevin Boss, out of Steve Smith, and not the real good Steve Smith. Obviously, when he had Plaxico Burris, that was incredible. Obviously, Odell Beckham may have saved Eli Manning's career for three or four seasons. But some of the best moments for the Giants in the past 16 years have been making something out of a not-that-impressive offense. Being able to run the ball, control the ball, and make big plays when necessary. Is Pat Shermer that guy? That is the most important thing now moving forward. Because if Daniel Jones is the pick and he's the hit, he's the nice quarterback we've been looking for to take over for Eli for years now. That's great. And Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer do deserve credit. But these things are not mutually exclusive. If Pat Shermer cannot get this offense going in the right direction on a consistent basis, it is okay to cut ties. If Dave Gettleman cannot make the right moves and pull the right strings and make the smart trades and make the right signings, it's okay to move on. Granted, they may have made the most important pick if Daniel Jones does work out as the franchise quarterback. You can't dwell on it for too long. Because that's how you get stuck with Andrew Luck and his lackluster GM career, not his, you know what I'm saying, his GM in Indianapolis did not do him many favors until about now when he retired. I think Houston's another example. Deshaun Watson has been lighting the world on fire since he became a starting quarterback in this league, yet he's been hit as much as anybody, if not more. He's running for his life often, and other than some some stud receivers, the Texans have been a train wreck defensively and on the offensive line. So whoever picked Deshaun Watson, do they get carte blanche? Do they get a free reign for years and years to come? These next six, uh, 13 weeks, 13 games, are important to see what Shermer can do. How hard does this team play? 
Do they come willing to work, thinking they have a chance to win day in and day out every single Sunday? Does Dave Gettleman make some smart moves? Those are the two things that are now left to see. Obviously, Daniel Jones has to build off week one as a starter. And it'll be great to see him continue to make plays with his arm, with his legs, and with his mind. Because week one for him as a starter was a great success. So congratulations to all the Giants fans out there. Danny Dimes had a great start. But this means nothing yet. So don't go put all your money on Daniel Jones winning Offensive Player of the Year. Don't now expect the Giants to win seven, eight games this year. Because there's still plenty of things wrong with this team. Including their star best player, Saquon Barkley, out four to eight weeks. So the Redskins come up on week four. And that'll be a good win to get. They're favorite. And they may not be favorite much more in this season. Unless those three things truly come together. Gettleman pulling the strings. Shermer calling the shots. And Daniel Jones making the plays. Sports Blog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy, right here, talking it with you. NFL stuff has been awesome this year. I mean, hopefully you guys have been enjoying the way I have. I mean, Monday night game was kind of a wreck, and yet I still watched the whole thing. I think I'm still in that point of the season where I'm excited to see any professional football. But we have a load of teams this year. A bunch of teams where you can truly carve a path for them to make the playoffs and I wouldn't say that is always how it goes right you know by week four there's always a couple teams that can be seen as pretenders right there are always a couple teams that get off to a hot start and trickle off there's always a couple teams who start slow and come on firing I mean last year the the Eagles were the supposed Super Bowl hangover team right Carson Wentz injuries in the beginning of the year. Foles a starter. Wentz the starter. Maybe Foles should be the starter, but he hasn't done that great. Well, Wentz is back, and they look good. Oh, Wentz is hurt again, and Foles looks good. Eagles made the playoffs. That's what it came down to. That team was talented enough to put all of their adversity aside, continue to win enough games to get in the playoffs and have that chance, right? Two years ago, the Vikings were a tra- uh, a. a a force to be reckoned with, a defense that was healthy, strong, fast, physical, an offense that had two dynamic playmaking receivers, and they've only had one this year. Diggs, if he's on your fantasy team, I'm sorry. He's on mine. I get it. But what we see year in and year out is different teams have the ability to start fast, and different teams have the ability to go for 16. So what do I look at so far this year? There are three teams, in my opinion, that there is nothing truly to worry about in regards to their playoff hopes. Two of them are extremely obvious, and that is the Patriots and the Chiefs. I mean, when you look at the NFL, they're ahead above the rest. They are just such a well-oiled machine. Offensively for the Chiefs, defensively for the Patriots, that there's no debate to be had. There's no second guessing. There's no questions. Even with some of the Patriots' wide receiver woes and health issues on offense, they're just the two best teams in the league, and it's not particularly close. In the NFC, I think there is, I think, I'd think i say one and a half. I'm, I'm just going to say two, since I did two in the AFC. I'll go with two for the NFC as well. And one is a little bit tougher than the other. So the first one is the Cowboys. And, and in my intro, I mentioned this exact you know, way to look at things. How much stock do you put in a good team beating up on bad teams, right? Like how much are you impressed with the Giants? I mean, the Cowboys crushing the Giants. How much are you impressed with the Cowboys kind of crushing the Dolphins? You know, they were just a little hungover maybe for the game in the beginning and then they turned it up. How impressive is it, right? This week, we get to see the Cowboys versus the Saints. And now, do we expect the Saints to be as good with Teddy as they are with Drew Brees? No. But they are, by far, a more respectable team than anybody that the Cowboys have played so far. Nonetheless, with their just pure talent on offense and defense, 
their ability to run the ball, the way Dak has looked so comfortable, confident, and has the ability to make plays downfield with this cast of characters he has around him this year, I think they're a shoe-in for 10, 10 wins and a playoff berth. And that's even if the Eagles are able to really come on strong once Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and some of their defensive guys get a little bit healthier. The fourth team I'll mention here is the Green Bay Packers. And the only reason I have pause on the Green Bay Packers is because I think their division is awesome. I was talking to Kevin Kennedy on this podcast last week, and I told him to make sense of this division for me. And, you know, we talked about the Bears, talked about the Lions, the Vikings, and, of course, the Packers. Right now, they are 7-0-1 against non-division opponents combined. The uh, one is obviously the Lions tie with the Cardinals from Week 1, which was just an absolute meltdown by the coaching staff in Detroit, which could be a detriment to them all season. But that team is good. They have talent on defense and playmakers on offense. And I, I think they were one of the most underrated teams coming into the year. And I think so far people aren't truly buying in, but they do have a big game against the Chiefs this week. May be able to see Matt Stafford sling it a little more. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they will show some people that they're not joking around. We know how good the Bears' defense is. We know how good the Vikings' defense is. The Vikings can run the crap out of the ball. These things all together make me a little bit nervous about the Green Bay Packers calling them a lock for the playoffs. But this (laughs) offense in Green Bay has played Chicago, Minnesota, and Denver. Three very good defenses. I only expect Aaron Rodgers and his boys on offense to get better and better. And their defense is absolutely no joke. So when I think about the four best teams in the league, two in each conference, there's two obvious ones in the AFC, in New England and Kansas City. And then I think about Dallas and Green Bay on the other side. Some of those other people, other teams that I obviously am considering in that top tier but right on the outside would include the Rams, would include the Ravens, who looked pretty damn good against the Chiefs in a loss. Uh, Would also be the Eagles, despite their slow start. And then I would think about the Texans because of their potency on offense. But those teams have all done something. They've all proven in the past that they can win football games. They can win shootouts. Most of them can win some closer games, maybe not the Texans. But with the Texans' division and their real, real... Rival there is going to be the Colts, possibly. The Jags and Titans look eh. You know, they look okay. They look seven wins-ish, right? Those teams are all pretty solid, and there's not much to be said about them in regards to their playoff hopes. I think they're all favorites to make playoffs at this point, except, of course, maybe the Eagles, who are 1-2 and and just ridden with injuries at this point. The teams I want to talk about, though, are the Buffalo Bills, and the San Francisco 49ers. They are the two teams that are the most complex to me at this point in the season. The Buffalo Bills came into MetLife twice, and they beat the Jets and they beat the Giants. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Wow. Go, go, Bill. Like that. Ooh. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to get that excited about beating the Jets and the Giants. Now, granted, the Jets in week one with a who knows if Sam Darnold had mono quarterback. Um, you know, they had a comeback win. Their defense looked stout in the second half. Josh Allen turned the ball over and has looked good since. The Giants stink. They beat Eli, whatever. Last week, you know, the Bills have a nice hard-fought win against the Bengals. You kind of would hope to see them do a little better there. But now the real test comes with New England. So what do you what do you put stock in? Because you hear a lot of different things. You hear people say, well, you can just play the teams in front of you. You can only beat your competitor right across the line from you at that given moment. And I completely agree. I get it. You have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat in order to be great. I 100% get it. But when you're talking about power rankings, when you're talking about who's the true contenders in this league, you can't discount that certain teams have just been a little bit luckier through three weeks. I mean, if you look at winning percentages right now, right? There's only a couple options. You've only played three games, right? If you're not, well, the Lions are 2-0-1, so we'll take them out, and the Cardinals, what with the tie, whatever. 
you could either either have a thousand winning percentage, a sixty-six winning percentage, a thirty-three winning percentage, or a zero. It's not giving you that much, right? If you were going to project off those numbers, there's not a lot of variance here, right? There's only been three weeks. All it takes is now each week, one win at a time, exponentially changes your projections for the rest of the season. So when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, their defense is stout. I think we know that, right? Is that I think that could be given as a fact here. Their defense is legitimately good, and they come with a good game plan and make it hard on opponents top to bottom. But when you come to play teams like the Patriots and the Eagles and the Browns, who you think by weeks 6 through 10 will start getting their offense on track, and the Cowboys and the Ravens, then where does the offense go? Can it take you to newer, higher grounds? Can it take you to a place that a defense alone just cannot do? That's the question for the Buffalo Bills. Now, if you heard me talk with the Run Up the Score Fantasy Football Podcast boys a couple weeks back, we sang the praises of Josh Allen as a fantasy quarterback. His ability to run the ball is impressive, helps you get those 15, 16 points guaranteed in fantasy. But what is it going to do for the Bills in regards to winning games week in and week out? They have Frank Gore, the ageless wonder, a young running back, Devin Singletary, trying to get healthy. A couple nice little pieces on the outside. But it comes down to the quarterback, as it does so often in this league. Josh Allen's in year two. He was taken after Baker Mayfield, after Sam Darnold. And some people thought the Bills reached really hard on him. Some people after last year may have still thought it was a big reach. But at 3-0 and in his second year, where's the confidence lie for Josh Allen? What do you need to see from him against real defenses? It's all about one thing for me. Intermediate. Intermediate throws, quick throws, reading the defenses, getting the ball out of his hands. We love to see him run. We love to see him chuck the ball deep. We love to see him in the red zone, which he's been awesome in. But in order to consistently get there and consistently put points on the board against great teams, those intermediate throws and those quick throws become extremely important. And this is something I said about Josh Allen back during draft time for him. I don't care if he can throw it 70 yards. Can he hit a five-yard slant? Can he hit an out for a third and four for a first down? Test number one is coming up this Sunday against the Patriots. I think, using my best ability watching this team through three weeks, I think they're about a 500 team. But if their schedule falls in their favor when they play, you know, the Dolphins twice again, didn't play them yet this year, play the Jets again this year, they get the Titans, they get the Redskins, they get the Broncos. You look at this team, if they steal one, maybe just one from the Patriots, or if they beat the Cowboys on the road, or if they really give the Ravens a run for their money, you're looking at a team that could be a wild card. 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. I don't think the Buffalo Bills are a joke. I just don't have the world of confidence in them yet, so I'm not ready to give them too much credit because though they beat who they were supposed to beat, it wasn't always with super convincing fashion, and it always it wasn't always with potent offensive performances. The next one, and a more complex one, may be the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers may have had the luckiest start to the season in the league, if you ask me. And I, my, my um, trajectory here with Jimmy Garoppolo makes me laugh a little bit, because... I have this way of trying to get on something early, like I thought I did with Jimmy G. You know, his first time I saw him play with New England, I was like, damn, this guy's quick. He makes his decisions. He's getting the ball out. He, he's hitting all his receivers in good spots for him to make plays. He seems in control. He's poised. All these great things about Jimmy G. He's handsome, right? Yeah, sure. And then he goes to San Francisco, and I'm like, oh, I'm on board. Him and Kyle Shanahan, they're going to make plays. Bada boom, bada boom. He has a good record as a starter with the 49ers, but gets hurt. And he gets hurt, and that could completely throw off a, a, a momentum, a momentous career for a quarterback, especially when you get hurt that early. And that's his second injury in two stints as a starter. When you look at the 49ers start this season, they played the Buccaneers, who people had some high expectations for. And they played them at Tampa Bay, right? 
And the Bucks, now that we saw them play three games, and they won one in the middle, we, we now know that they are the train wreck that they are, that we thought they were, that they thought they were supposed to be. Every year there are certain people out there who say, you know, Jameis is, it's Jameis' time to now become steady, to turn the ball over less. Bruce Arians is going to be the quarterback whisperer for him. This is their year. Sneaky um, division winners possibility. The Bucks aren't that good. They're offensively talented, but not offensively consistent enough, and they don't take care of the ball. Their defense, though, better than last year. Still a wreck, as you saw Daniel Jones pick them apart. Evan Engram run on his run, run for days. Sterling Shepard run for days. Daniel Jones run for days. The Bucks aren't it, right? So after Week One, you think about the 49ers for his victory. You, you can feel pretty good about it. I don't. I don't. I'm not that impressed. I'm just not. And then Week Two against the Bengals. At Cincinnati, just saw the Bengals give the Seahawks a run for their money, and this is what happens early in the year. The Seahawks have typically been slower starters. They don't always uh, just run away with it since the Russell Wilson era has begin. begin. They, they do take their time to really get in a swing of things, especially offensively. So we saw the Bengals play really well against the Seahawks, almost come out with a victory. Seahawks almost ruined a ton of suicide pools in Week 1. And then the 49ers come in and drop 41 points on the Bengals' face. Wow. That's a great win. In Cincinnati, 2-0 on the road. The 49ers are here. And then the Bengals come out, and they can't move the ball against the Bills, who we just talked about, who have a, do have a good defense. And maybe the Bengals aren't as good as we thought they were after Week 1, and maybe they're as bad as we thought they were before Week 1. They have a new head coach. Their star wide receivers hurt. Their defense lost a number of players. They're just not that good. And then last week, the 49ers get to play the Steelers. Typically would be a very tough game in which you'd expect them possibly to lose. Most likely be underdogs if Big Ben were healthy. But we know that is not the case. Mason Rudolph's first career start on the Steelers. And the 49ers almost do everything they could to give that game away. Turn the ball over a couple times. They only put up 24 points on a Steelers defense that has hemorrhaged yards throughout this season so far. Are you impressed? Now, is it a really cool thing when you can say, oh, wow, look at all these running backs. Breda's yards per touches are sick. Uh, Mostert is making plays. Jeff Wilson's a running back red zone Beast, Dante Pettis starting to get involved. They got a great tight end. Godwin, uh, Goodwin out there making plays. You're looking at the 49ers, and it's easy to get excited. It's easy to think about all these positive things about their play calling and Kyle Shanahan and, and their ability to move the ball in all these different types of ways. But again, you have to think about who you've played. Now they go to play Cleveland, and they're home again, and the Browns have been a wreck. And maybe they're catching the Browns at the wrong, the right time, or maybe they're catching them at the right time when the Browns are starting to get maybe some momentum in their season. For some reason, though, with the 49ers and that division and the Seahawks, who you assume to get better and better as the year goes on, the Rams, who are almost a lock to win that division, if you ask me, I don't know how much confidence I can put in Jimmy G and the 49ers. Their defense is nothing special, though they have been able to create some turnovers more already this year than they did all of last season combined. So there are some things to like about them. But when you look at the 3-0 record off the start, you think about the train wreck Bucks, you think about the Bengals who can't stop a soul, and you think about the Steelers who started a new quarterback, Mason Rudolph. His first time with all these guys as a starter. How impressed can you be? So Jimmy G obviously looks really good in moments, but I want to see him going up against a defense. When the 49ers go into Los Angeles in two weeks, and go or in three weeks actually because they're in a bye right now, when they go to play at the Rams, that is the test. That can tell you all you need to know for the rest of the season. It's hard to put too many thing, too many eggs in one basket so early. But one thing I know is that when you don't take care of the ball and you're a young team like the 49ers are, it is hard to win games 
when you hit October, November, and December. And until they show true consistency, do find uh, some sort of way to to stop people on defense other than, you know, uh, rookie or second-year quarterbacks or the Buccaneers, then I'll be impressed. But for now, my my betting advice is to not go with the 49ers, quote, hot streak, and indeed go the opposite and take the Browns in two weeks. Assuming the Rams are going to be heavy favorites at home in three weeks, I don't think the 49ers' schedule gets much easier. They do catch the Cardinals twice, and who knows where they'll be later in the year. But they got the Panthers, who look like they have new energy. They have the Packers, the Ravens, the Saints, the Falcons, who are frisky. And obviously, Rams and Seahawks twice in their season is never an easy task. So quite like the Browns of last year, who did beat a lot of teams that they were better than, non-playoff teams, they couldn't quite get it done against the true contenders, against the playoff teams. Baker Mayfield, 7-8-1 last year, or the Browns were 7-8-1 last year. Baker obviously led a lot of those wins. They did not do well against the playoff teams. So for the 49ers this season, my outlook is, yeah, they're going to beat the Cardinals probably. Yeah, they can beat the Redskins. They took advantage of some lackluster teams one weeks one through three. But when they go to play the Rams, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Ravens, the Saints, the Falcons, they will be outclassed offensively and in most of those cases, definitely defensively. I think there'll be a heavy turnover uh, problem in San Francisco that will continue and will start to bite them in the butt. So 49ers don't think their chances to make the playoffs are super strong. I see them about seven wins. Though, something to build on in years to come. Sports Blog New York podcast, though, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It means the world to me. Anytime I run into a friend or occasionally a stranger on Twitter or somebody who leaves a review on Apple uh, Apple Podcast app or, or whatnot, it, it truly does mean so much to me when I know people take some time out of their day or uh, listen along while they're working, commuting, or whatever to listen to this podcast. It, it's awesome. And it makes my day every time I hear about it, every time I see somebody say something about it on Twitter or on Apple Podcast. So if you are listening, shout out to you, as always. Um, I said this earlier, and I, I do mean it. We'll be back with more episodes, more consistently. The summer gets a little clunky. There's not as much going on. We're on that grind throughout football season and then into NBA season, into the NBA off season. It, it's, it's tough to keep it going, but we're back. And uh, we're going to keep the Sports Blog New York podcast rolling throughout the rest of the football season and on into the NBA season. Um, so thank you again for, for listening. It, it means the world. <clears throat> but there are a couple more things quickly to talk about this week. Coming up, week four, right? The the most important games that you got to be locked into right now for week four are obviously, the number one is obviously Packers-Eagles on Thursday night. Depending on the health of the Eagles offense with their weapons, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, maybe it won't be so pretty as the Packers defense, like I, I talked about before, is stout. They're awesome. They fly around. They hit people, and it, it's been really impressive. I don't, I have, well, let me say this. I haven't given up my faith in the Eagles just yet. Um, the other games to keep an eye out for are, the Patriots and Bills, which we talked about earlier. And, and then I, I do think, though, the Ravens and Browns is the marquee game because that's a division game. And division games have a different luster. And now, granted, the Ravens are a seven-point favorite. They just came off a, a really emotional game where they lost against the Chiefs, and they played really, really well. But desperation comes into play here. I know the Browns have a tough schedule to start the season, and their schedule in the second half is a lot easier. This is a game, if you're Cleveland, where you have to say it's now or never. And even though that's not true, you have to trick yourself and put out the most incredible effort you can because if you roll into Baltimore and get crushed and and Odell can't get open or Jarvis can't get more than five catches, six, seven targets, and, and Nick Chubb gets stymied at the line over and over again and Baker Mayfield's running for his life, these things will then trickle, and they'll continue to affect them moving forward. And when that uh, schedule softens up in the second half of the year for the Browns, what have they built? What have they had to, to hang their hat on to move momentum forward? I think the Browns-Ravens, despite being one of the bigger spreads of the week, 
is going to be a fascinating game. And then second, what does Kyle Allen have to offer in Carolina? Because think about the Carolina Panthers over the past couple of years. Last year, this team was 6-2. and two. This team was rolling. They were right on pace to maybe win their division, definitely to make the playoffs. Cam was looking great. McCaffrey was a freaking stud, and he proved it for sure last year. Kyle Allen came in last week, and he looked poised, comfortable, confident, ability to make incredible throws to great players, realistically. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Greg Olson. These guys are legitimate playmakers. Now, their defense has been pretty consistently good in the Cam Newton era, right? And I expect them to stay that way. And is there going to be an extra juice that the Panthers give with Kyle Allen that they lacked with Cam and his clear injuries that he's dealt with over the past, you know, 10 months or whatever it may be? I think the same type of deal with Daniel Jones where an offense can look around where Curtis Samuel and, and DJ Moore can look around and Greg Olson can look around and say, we got a guy out there who's going to hit us in rhythm to make plays and he's going to give us the ability to do what we do best. It sounds crazy to say that you wouldn't have that confidence in Cam, but when you look at his completion percentage, when you look at his inability to make certain throws because he looked like he was just laboring through them, how much does that affect the confidence of the offensive line? when he wasn't running like he used to, when he didn't bail them out of bad plays on the offensive line. He didn't have the ability that we've seen him have in the past. And can this young kid, Kyle Allen, come in and pepper his receivers, pepper his talent, and give them the opportunity to make plays? I think the Texans are awesome. They're incredibly fun to watch, but their defense can give up some points. And if this Carolina Panthers offense is able to get some playmakers in space, they got guys who can burn. They got guys who can turn 10 into 60 real quick, as we saw Christian McCaffrey do, as we saw DJ Moore do. They could be pretty impressive. So I think low-key, Panthers at Texans can be a very intriguing game. Uh, Vikings-Bears, I mean, I said this earlier, Trubisky, Monday night against the Redskins. Did he really show you anything, you know? Like, come on. I, I actually like Booger McFarlane on Monday night. I think he's pretty good. He he brings pretty nice insight. He's not star power. He's not sexy, whatever. But he, he's pretty solid analyst, right? He went on a little thing there where right when the Redskins were starting to come back a little bit and Keenum threw a touchdown and right before he fumbled. And, and Booger said something about the Bears finally looking back on their Super Bowl track they thought they'd be on before the season. And I said, what? 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 What have you seen from Mitch other than one sling and throw that was only a great play because the incredible acrobatic catch from Taylor Gabriel dragging his feet in the end zone? What did you see from Mitch Trubisky that makes you this confident? I still haven't seen enough. And you go up against the Vikings, I don't care if you're in Chicago, in Minnesota, in New Mexico, in Canada. doesn't matter. The Vikings defense can play, and they can control the ball. Something the Bears are not doing properly with David Montgomery sitting back there just not getting the touches he probably deserves. With Tariq Cohen not getting the targets we got used to seeing him convert on last year. The Bears expected to be a playoff contender. Big test week four. I don't care about the Redskins. That that showed me nothing on Monday night. Showed me nothing. Go beat a division rival in your home stadium and put up 24-plus points. Put up 24, put up 21, at least. Because the Viking defense ain't joking around. And we know the Bears defense isn't joking around. Now, is this going to be a 13-10 game? Very possibly. And yet, that still does not show me much from Mitch Trubisky. Because if the Bears do want to be Super Bowl contenders, if the Bears do want to be a a playoff favorite to just make the playoffs, this guy's got to do something. He's got to move the ball without... um, needing a flair of spectacular, uh, a spectacular catch out of Allen Robinson, who I've thought looked awesome this year so far. Taylor Gabriel made incredible plays. Mitch has to show something. Bears-Vikings, lock me in there. And then the Saints at home Sunday night against the Cowboys. Talked about the Cowboys earlier. 3-0, and looked incredible. They beat the Giants, they beat the Redskins, they beat the Dolphins. Whoop-de-doo. People trying to say Dak Prescott, MVP. 
can we, you know, can we think back to when uh, Alex Smith through four games was outpacing like every quarterback in the league with touchdowns and he was throwing the ball down the field? And, and I was probably on this podcast. Actually, no, I definitely was on this podcast saying Alex Smith MVP. And what did I look like by week ten? An idiot. Okay, I'm not trying to say that Dak is going to be Alex Smith from three years ago, even though I think Alex Smith's great. And I think that's actually a decent comparison. I think uh, the Cowboys' offense is very talented. Obviously, Zeke, even their backup, Tony Pollard, Cooper, Cobb, when Gallup comes back, great. They're, they're talented as hell. I get it. Kellen Moore's got them slinging. Get some more tape on the Cowboys. Let's see if they can do this against some teams that aren't going to have uh, less than five wins this year. <laughs> they beat the Giants, the Redskins, and the Dolphins, man. Dak Prescott, MVP of the first three games, great. Here you go, buddy. You deserve the contract. That has nothing to do with this, you know? Dak definitely deserves a, a, a big, healthy contract. I'm all for it. But let's not call somebody the MVP when he's played three of uh, you know, the worst defenses in the league so far. Okay? So the Saints are no joke. Drew Brees are not. Teddy Two Gloves are not. They're a professional football team that comes prepared, and they are always, always a hard out in their hometown of New Orleans, especially Sunday night prime time. Damn, they're not going to be able to hear a thing, the Cowboys. That's the test. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road, which is some respect. To be a favorite in New Orleans, I don't have those numbers, but I can't imagine there's been many favorites in New Orleans in the Drew Brees era. So, Cowboys, show up. Put up 30 again. Put them on the Saints. And then I'm saying, all right, Dak, I see you. I see you. So... Sunday night, we got a doozy ahead of us. Week four slate's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. Sports Blog New York podcast. It's your boy, P. Kennedy. Hit me on Twitter at P. Kennedy 2 wise Hit me on the Apple Podcast app with a little rating and review. It means the world to me. Um, and we'll be back next week. Look out for two episodes. I look to do another football episode in the middle of the week and possibly a NBA teaser, I'll call it, to start the week off because we're sneaky, sneaky close to the start of the NBA season. But hopefully you guys have enjoyed this solo episode of the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Again, hit me up on Twitter. Tell me what you think. Tell me some of your takes about the NFL season so far. Who are your contenders and who are your pretenders? I want to hear about it. I want to talk about it. So hit me up and we'll stay in touch throughout this whole season and beyond. Thanks for listening.